Father, we are thankful tonight that you understand our thought from afar. That's what the psalmist said in 139. We, uh, we have times where we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand why we're angry. We don't understand why we are so depressed. Uh, we, we just don't get what's going on in our own hearts sometimes. But thank you. And, and, and there are times, Lord, we don't understand ourselves, and because we're kind of messed up, those who are around us who love us, they don't quite understand. They, they want to, but, but they don't. But you do. You understand us. You know what makes us tick. You know everything about us. And Lord, there are times when we're not sure that we can uh, keep going because we get uh, worn out and we get tired of dealing with the same issues and we get fatigued and we are at times we're just flat out tired of being tired and we have lost our enthusiasm this happens in life it happens to Christians we lose our enthusiasm we lose our motivation at times we lose our we lose our joy we um, we're, we're just out of gas. Now, that's not everybody here tonight, but it's some guys. It is not unusual in the Christian life for you to call us to wait. Uh, Christianity, biblical Christianity, is not a microwave culture. Oh, you can heal in an instant. You speak a word and everything changes. Everything. A man with a withered hand, you speak a word and that hand is perfect. The man blind from birth, the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus' daughter, you speak a word and in an instant, everything changes. But there are also times, Lord, when you delay the answer, and you delay it on purpose, just like Jesus purposefully delayed going to the home of Lazarus when Lazarus died. He did it on purpose. Something like that. If your friend dies, you go immediately. He waited. Jesus delayed. And they didn't understand why he delayed. Well, he was delaying because he had something incredible in mind. But he wanted there to be absolutely no doubt that Lazarus was dead. And in the moment, in the grief, it could not be understood where Jesus was. There is always a reason for your delays. And as some wise old Christian once said, God's delays are not God's denials. When you call us to wait, you haven't forgotten, although we feel at times that you have forgotten. 
You are the God who shows up at the right moment. And you are the God who is aware that when, when, we are, when our emotional tanks, when our mental gas tanks, our spiritual tanks, when, when we're running on fumes, you know that. And just in the nick of time, you give us what we need. It just might be grace for that day. Sometimes you stun us and shock us and you give us more than that. You will give us, um, you, you will give us grace and, and, and we'll have a need and you'll give us a, a, a great surplus. And we thank you for that. You know what's best. You know what's best. Jesus is the great physician, and he is the physician of our hearts and our minds and our souls. You know exactly what we need. And for those of us who are fatigued and worn out, we remind ourselves that you have said, that your mercies are new every morning. We're grateful for all you did yesterday, but we can't live today on yesterday's grace. So we had fresh grace this morning. We will need, when we get up in the morning, we will need fresh grace and fresh mercy, and it'll be there. That keeps us going. Encourage us tonight Put courage in our tanks. Remind us of what the facts are. Remind us of what is true as we journey through life. As so many have journeyed before following you. Help us to not lose heart. Help us to not become weary in well-doing. We fix our eyes on Jesus tonight. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been working our way through Hebrews 11, which if you've been here with us, I'll review just a tad for the guys who are, who are new tonight. Uh, Hebrews 11 is God's Hall of Fame, and all the major sports have their Hall of Fames that you can visit in different parts of the country. God's Hall of Fame is in Hebrews chapter 11, kind of the the central idea in Hebrews 11 would be Hebrews 11:6, and it simply says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Uh, Christianity is uh, not something, when we talk about faith, it's not blind faith. It's not a leap off the cliff. Gosh, I hope this is true. The scriptures say, come, let us reason together, Isaiah says. The, the faith in the Bible is not throwing away your mind. The faith in the Bible is using your mind. The, the faith in, in, that we, we speak of in the Bible <clears throat> is a faith that is not blind. It's a faith that is not foolish. It is a faith that is based on the fact that he is that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Uh, it, it, it is a belief that God is there, 
It is a belief that God has spoken. It is a belief that God has made promises to his people. And it is a belief that he cannot lie. And it is a belief that he will be there to fulfill his promise at the moment you need it. Not the moment you want it, but the moment that you need it. He wants to take us from immaturity to maturity, just as you want to do that with your own kids and your own grandkids. The the whole goal is for them to grow up. The whole goal is is to mature. So in order for for kids to mature, they got to go through some hard things, and they got to have some difficult experiences. And, you know, you hear every once in a while someone say, you know, things are so bad right now, I'm not sure I want to bring a child into this world. Things have always been bad. They've always been bad. It's just circumstantially, it's different in each each generation, in each time, in each decade. And we bring kids into the world, and uh, are they going to have a hard time? Are they going to have disappointment? Are they going to have people make fun of them? Are they going to go through embarrassing situations? Are they going to be humiliated? Are they going to go out for the team and get cut? Are they going to have all this stuff happen to them? Yeah, they are. It's happened to you, it's happened to me. But we still have kids. We still have grandkids. And uh, they're a joy. Uh, we want to see them grow. We don't want to see, see them spoiled. We want to see them self-centered. We, we don't want them to be all about themselves. We want them to learn from hard things and hard experiences. If that's what we want, how much more does God the Father want that for us? So he allows us to go through difficulties and setbacks and disappointments because we learn the hard lessons of life and we learn the character lessons of life in going through hard things. And then we also learn that he can be trusted because, once again, Hebrews eleven six. All these guys in Hebrews 11 who are listed in Hebrews 11 uh, were, were guys that were just walking through the journey of life just like we're walking through it. And as we've said before, they were sinners. Uh, They all had stuff that they had done that they wished they hadn't have done, but they did it. They all had things in their life they wished they could go back and undo. They all had things like you have and like I have. They all had things in their lives that they were ashamed of. They they wished they could expunge those things, but you can't. What's done is done. But you see, here's the great thing. When When you begin to grasp real biblical Christianity, is that when Jesus came, Jesus who was God, Jesus who who spoke the worlds into existence, all things were created by him and for him and through him, Colossians 1 says, Jesus who came to earth, Philippians 2, although he existed as God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to, so he laid aside his privileges. What privileges? He was God. And he became the God-man, and he took upon him human flesh. And he came, he was born of a virgin. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? I mean, come on. Come on. He was born of a virgin. I remember in college, I had a philosophy professor. And the guy was classic uh, college, university philosophy guy. He was about 60, and uh, he was trying to look like he was 20. And he had the long hair, you know. This was in California in the 60s. He had the long, flowing hair. He had on the jeans that, you know, were torn at the knees. And, um, 
You know, he was always going like this. He was always going like this, flipping his hair. And uh, he just smoked a joint in the parking lot, several of them. And I remember the first day I was in his class. I walked in there, and there's about, I don't know, 10, 15 people in there. And he comes in, you know, and, he, and within 10 minutes, I mean, this guy's hip, this guy's cool. It's the 60s, it's a radical thing. He's into it all the way. And within 10 minutes, he's going after Christianity. <laughs> he, uh, and here's what he said. He said, yeah, some of you are Christians, and some of you believe in the virgin birth. And by the way, that word virgin doesn't mean virgin. It means young woman of marriageable age. It never means that she was a virgin in the sense we know it. It just means she was a young woman of marriageable age. I never forgot that. And when I went to seminary a few years later, uh, one of the first did I things, I things I did in Greek class was got a little Greek under my belt, which is always dangerous, but I got enough that I could look up a Greek lexicon and look up the word for virgin. And I found out that word for virgin, uh, there's a definition, young woman of marriageable age or virgin. It can mean one of two things. And a lot of English words are that way. You look up a word in the dictionary and you'll see uh, two or three meanings. That's not unusual. Well, what determines the meaning? How do you know what meaning goes in? Well, it's context. So the angel appears to Mary, tells her that she's going to have a child, and, you know, I mean, she's listening to this, and then she listens to the announcement, and then she said, well, how can this be? Since I'm a young woman of marriageable age. <laughs> That's not what she meant. How can this be? I've never had sexual intercourse. How can you have a baby and not have sexual intercourse? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. He made her. God, God. He's God. You'd expect God to have an unusual entrance into the world, would you not? And he did. He was born of a virgin. And then he lived a sinless life. Because in him was no sin. And then he went to the cross. And your sin and the stuff you're ashamed of that you hope nobody ever finds out about and my sin... And my stuff, I don't want anybody to know about. Everybody here, everybody, everybody. Huh. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And what did he do? He went to the cross. As our substitute, he died in our place. 1 Corinthians 15, we delivered to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. That he was buried. That on the third day, he rose that he appeared to Peter. He appeared to the apostles. He appeared to the 500. And then later Paul goes on and says, if Jesus, if, if, if this isn't true, Paul says, we're fools. If there's no resurrection, we're fools. Christianity is based on facts, and we believe the facts point to the fact that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins, we trust in him alone for the forgiveness of sins, and it doesn't matter what you've done, or where you come from, or you went off the wrong road, you knew the truth, and you knew it full well, and you'd received the grace of God, and then you got, you got nuts, and you went off over here and did this, and you kind of messed up your life, you know what, he died for that too. Oh, I can't come back, actually you can Actually, you can't. Well, I think maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin. Well, you haven't. The, the only sin that can be pardoned is the refusal to accept the pardon. That's the only pardon. <laughs> That's the only unpardonable thing. If you won't receive him, 
If you deny him, if you refuse the, the offer, the amazing offer, well, that can't be pardoned. But he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I learned that in first grade. So I still quote it in the, first, in the King James. He, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So just come to him with all your stuff and all your crud and all your junk and embarrassment and humiliation. And, and the fact is, Paul says, Paul says, he is God. He died in your place. He paid for your sin. And here's the wild thing. Hebrew says, <laughs> he not only forgives our sin, but he forgets our sin. Your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so this walking by faith stuff, see, it's based on facts. If those things aren't true, if those aren't factually correct, we're wasting our time and we've been conned. But we believe they are true. If any man, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Most things have become new. Not what it says. <laughs> all things. All things have become new. That's amazing. That's amazing grace. You never get over it. So this is the Christian life. And this God who saved us, as, as now, and, and forgive me, guys, because I find myself, I, you know, I, I repeat stuff. But you want to repeat the gospel. You never, quit, you never want to quit saying it. So you come to him, you're born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, John 3, you must be born again. You don't enter into your mother's womb a second time, but he does a work in your heart. And he invades your life and you call, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So now you've got spiritual birth. Now it's going to be spiritual growth because you want, you want your child, your grandchild, you want them to grow. You want them to develop. Well, he's going to do the same for us. He wants to take us from immaturity to maturity. The, Paul says the goal of, uh, that's, that's another verse. Um, I just blanked on the verse. Anybody got a steroid shot on him? <laughs> I just blanked. Anyway, it's in Colossians somewhere. He talks about we, we, the goal of our instruction is to present every man mature in Christ. You don't want your kids, you don't want your kids at 25 to be immature. He doesn't want us to be immature. He wants us to grow. He wants us to develop. So he sets us on this road where we have to walk by faith. We receive eternal life, but now he's going to navigate us through life, and we're at different points on the journey. We've got different guys in here that are at different places in life. We've got some young guys in here, a couple of, you know, teenage guys probably. We've got guys in their 20s. How many of you guys are in your 20s? I'm just curious. Anybody here in their 20s? Okay, glad you guys are here. There are two issues in the 20s, just two. Number one, what am I going to do? Number two, who am I going to marry? That's it. But there's a lot riding on it. <laughs> right? What am I going to do? I'm not sure what I want to do. Well, try different stuff. You know, God's made you. He put you together. He gave you some gifts. He gave you some abilities. What would you love to do? Go after what you love. Now, you've got to be able to make a living at it. Try things. That's the 20s. I talk to young guys all the time. Well, I tried this, and it's not quite what I want. I said, great. So you discard that. The 20s, you try it and discard the 20s are like a funnel. It's wide at the top. 
as you get down to about 40, it narrows. You want to get, you try things and that doesn't work right. You, but the whole time you're learning and you're honing in on really what you, what you're, what you, what's in your heart, how God has made you. And the second thing, who am I going to marry? Not who am I going to live with, who am I going to marry? Because you get married. Marriage is an institution ordained by God, created by God. God owns marriage. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the only kind of marriage there is, is what God says. So you find her, and you get to know her heart, and you know, you need someone to go through life with. The two are stronger than one. So you get married, you get married for the long haul, for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and in health, till death do you part. And by the way, richer or poor, sickness and health, better or worse, you're going to get them all. They're all coming. Just want to encourage you. But you know what? What, what happens? You can't, tough things happen. You let the pressure drive you together. You don't let the pressure get in between. You turn your back to the pressure and it drives you together. Uh, Steve, you know, I've been married. This is my third marriage. Well, okay. Make this one work. Forgetting what lies behind, I press forward to the high calling. You see? There's all grace. We're all counting on grace. Okay. So here's what happens. We're walking by faith and we're trusting in God. Now, we've been looking at these different guys in Hebrews 11. And, and here's the thing. <laughs> these guys, their lives weren't much, uh, aren't, they weren't much different than we are. They had, they had a different time in which they lived. But they, they were pretty, listen, they had families, they had responsibilities, they had jobs. They're trying to work out the stuff of life. They got family conflict. They got health issues. They got this. They got that. And, and, and they're just trying to make it. And they're trying to get through, just like we are. And you're living on, they were living off the promises of God, and we're living off the promises of God. God doesn't always instantaneously deliver us because he wants us to learn lessons in the valley of deepest darkness, in the valley of the shadow of death, which literally is the valley of deepest darkness. So we go through those hard times, and we go through those difficult times. I'm telling you, every guy in here has a story. It's always fascinating to me to hear guys' stories. It, it's amazing to me the stories that guys have. And we talked last week about the guy who was going to be a, a, a Jewish, you know, brilliant uh, psychotherapist, and he's done all of his work, and he's in a staff meeting, and he's sitting there thinking, you know, this stuff is nonsense. I don't believe any of it. And a few years, few years later, he's a Christian pastor. Who would have thought of that? Who would have guessed that? But God called him. God called him. Now tonight we're looking at Abraham, and God called him. So in Hebrews chapter 11, some of these guys in Hebrews 11 are famous, and some of them are obscure. We'll look at some of the obscure guys later in the fall. But tonight we look at Abraham, who is right at the top in terms of fame. People all over the world know about Abraham. Uh, uh, the Jews looked to Abraham because he was the first Jews. Even the Muslims looked to Abraham. You go to the Dome of the Rock, and they're going to tell you that all the stuff about Abraham and the Dome of the Rock, which is not in the Bible. Um, Christians looked to Abraham. Hebrews 11, if you look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called. And you say, well, how was he called? Well, we don't know the details. Well, I mean, what, what, we don't know. We just don't know. Now, we'll flip back in a minute, and we'll see some stuff out of Genesis. But in terms of everything that God 
God said certain things, but we don't know all of the details except it was a fact that when he was called, watch this, he obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, watch this, not knowing where he was going. Some of you guys, where you are in life right now, <laughs> I, here's what I want to say. I want to say all of us don't know where we're going. Now, you, you, I'm, I'm sure you have, you know, some of you are in a position where you're relatively secure and you got a good job and things are kind of the way you like it. That's great. Enjoy it. <laughs> None of us know where we're going. None of us know where we're going to be in six months. None of us know where we're going to be in a year. We just don't know. We make our plans and we keep going about our work as best we can. But we don't know. God knows. The mind of man plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. God promised him some land. We'll look at that in just a minute. As in a foreign land, he was dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Um, let's stop there. Go back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now watch this. This is, this is wild stuff, okay? So God, uh, here's what happened. Abraham prays and says, oh Lord, I want, you, I want to know you. I want you to come into my life. He didn't pray that. He didn't do anything. The Lord called him. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. What? This, this guy's a pagan. He's just a pagan. If you read the previous verses... It talks about where he came from. If you're in a chapter 11, verse uh, 26, and you find out about his family history and all of this, and these people were idol worshipers. You say, how do you know that? Look at 31, chapter 11, verse 31. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. They went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. He was from Ur of the Chaldees. There was what they called the Fertile Crescent. And you know those maps in the back of your Bible that you never look at. You can see how it's laid out. And you got Israel in the west, and, and then, you know, you got, the, you, you got a loop. And you go around and you, got, you, hit, uh, you hit Babylon. About 100 miles south of Babylon is Ur. And they've, done, they've had some amazing archaeological finds in Ur of the Chaldees. This was an advanced city, extremely advanced. 
Uh, they've unearthed some of the homes, which are two-story homes, that had a type of air conditioning, that had a type of cross-ventilation, uh, had, uh, had, had a sewer system, drainage system. I mean, these people were advanced. This was a first-class city back in those days. Abram was a wealthy man. He came from that city. He, had, he came from that culture. He had a beautiful home, and God calls him, and he wasn't quite sure where he was going. But God said some things to him. Let's keep reading. Verse 2 of 12, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I mean, he's retired, he's living on the golf course. He's invested well. He's enjoying life. You, hey, guys, you never know when God's going to interrupt your life. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's your master, and he's your savior, and he's your Lord, and he's your God, let me tell you something. He's free to interrupt your plans at any time. He has a plan that we know nothing about. I'm always amazed when I, uh, not always, but many times I'm amazed driving over here, and I, I just, I, I mean, this, this church didn't exist, what, how many years ago? No, well, this building's been around, what, three, four, five years, I don't know. But, so Chuck's 65 years old, and he starts a church. Guys don't start churches when they're 65. Not guys that are sane. <laughs> um, but the Lord called him to start a church. And did he know how it was all going to turn out? And all and some of you guys have been around here since day one. And you remember those first meetings at the country club? Everybody was interested, and then you know wind up going over here to the junior college and sitting there with those old plastic chairs and, and that roof that would creak. You thought it was going to collapse on you? Those are the good old days. We're glad they're gone. And then, you know, this building was put up, the first phase and all that, and you look back. You never know what God's going to do in your life. Have you ever asked God, have you ever asked God to use you? Have you? Well, just buckle up, man. Just buckle up. You say, well, you know, Steve, I'm in my 60s. Well, hey, you still got a heartbeat, don't you? Some of you guys are marginal just looking at you. But yeah, most of us have a heartbeat. What are you going to do? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to retire. Every, everyone's into this retirement thing. So what are you going to do, just check out? I mean, it's great if you can, you know, recalibrate and not have to put in as many hours so maybe you can do something else. But you don't check out. I mean, he's got a work for you to do. He's got a task for you to do. You want to be productive. And, and you know, you, 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 don't have, you don't have the energy that you had when you were 20. But you don't need that energy because you got wisdom and you work smarter. But you don't check out. So it's at the age of 75, all this happens in this guy's life. Now, let's just review it here. He never saw this coming. 
He just flat out never saw it coming. And here's what happens in the Christian life. We set out our plans. And you got a plan. you got to have some kind of plan, and you should have a plan, and you plan as best as you can. But what I've learned over the years is that when I plan, I make my plans in pencil. Don't put them in ink. Because you just don't know. Uh, any kind of plan. Planning is a good thing. It's good to think ahead. It's good to, you know, uh, before you, you build a tower, you, you make sure you got the funds to build it. I mean, that's wise. It makes sense. Jesus talked about that. But at the same time, you've got to understand that <laughs> we don't always see the plan of God. It's not unusual for Him to come in and interrupt you in your comfort and where you thought you would be long term. You never know what He's going to do. I remember years ago, and I might have said this in the last two weeks. Once again, I will say this, and I say it about every four weeks. I speak so many places, I can't remember what I just said where. So I don't try to remember anymore. I don't even remember where I am. So bear with me. And most of you guys have been here for 10 years. You think this is your first time. So we're all in the same boat, aren't we? Um, we're fine. We're all losing our minds. But I remember how many years ago, I don't know, I was 39, 40, and uh, sat down with, you know, I'd had a financial plan, but you know, and now I'm, now I'm 40. I mean, I'm, I'm half dead. You know, you're 40, you're half dead. You got 70, maybe 80 years, Psalm 90. Just want to encourage you. <laughs> I'm thinking, I better get a plan here. So a friend of mine knows a guy, so we sit down, we get a plan, and you know, start, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this. And then the guy gave me a big notebook and all these graphs, and then had these tabs, and everything was color-coordinated and synchronized. I mean, I love those, you know, and you... It looked like the Texas A&M band, you know, just in formation, just... And then this would go like this, and oh, it was great. It's about this thick. I loved that plan. I was very excited about it. You know, and. It was almost like, you know, I mean, Mary was, you know, I still got the plan on my shelf at home. It was almost so like, you know, this didn't happen. It was sort of like, you know, here's this plan. And then it's like, hey, Lord, look at my plan. Oh, hey, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with a plan. You ought to have a plan. But don't love your plan. Love God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Anybody in here see the 2008 crash coming? I mean, come on. I usually buy high and sell low. <laughs> That's sort of been my record. <laughs> Always miss. Does he, does he make a way? He makes a way. He'll make a way for you. You see? Make your plans. Make them in pencil. Abram had his plan, and what did the Lord do? He changed his plan. Um, God says some things to him. God made some promises to him. Actually, seven, prom seven things. Here's number one. In 12.2 of Genesis, God says, I'll make you a great nation. That's unbelievable. I'll make you a great nation. Number two, I will bless you. That's in verse two. 
Also in verse 2, I will make your name great. Also in verse 2, you shall be a blessing. In verse 3 of Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Uh, You know, a lot of us believe that God still has a plan for Israel. And (laughs) let's just say this. That verse tells me that as a nation... Any nation gets itself in trouble when it doesn't bless Israel. And when you start messing with Israel, you're messing with the Lord. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. God never deactivated that that premise. Uh, In verse 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And and then also in 12.7, God says, I'm going to give you this land. Land. There, that, what's going on in the Middle East right now? It's all about the land. So when, uh, what was the prime minister's name? Was it Ehud Barak, who went to Oslo and made a deal with uh, uh, Arafat and basically offered him 95%? 95%. Now, you know, if you're in a negotiation and you can get 95% of what you're after, you know, you go to the seminars on negotiating, they'll tell you, you probably want to take that. That's a pretty good deal. You get 95% of what you're after, you can't beat that deal. So they, here this, here this prime minister at Barack offers, this isn't that long ago, offers uh, Arafat, here's 95% of our land. And he turned him down. He had no business making that offer in the first place. You don't move the ancient boundary, the Old Testament says. And they turned him down. Why? Well, because Arafat wants to drive him into the sea. This stuff's still going on. This all goes back to this guy, Abraham. So God made these promises. Now, here's what's interesting to me. He says, he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. When he died... Did Abraham have a great nation? The answer is no. He had one kid by, by Sarah. He had one. Uh, did God bless him, the second one? Yeah, God blessed him. Uh, I will make your name great. Was, was he known as he is today? No, I mean, he was probably known locally in the region, but not like he is today. You shall be a blessing was the fourth thing. I will bless those who bless you, and that was true, and curse those who curse you. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that really hadn't occurred to the point. Um, He would later say, when you read Genesis 12 and 15 and 70, he said to him, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Did, Did Abraham die seeing this? And the answer is no. But see, God made the promise. Let's go back to um, Hebrews 11. By faith, 11.9, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. That's why we call it the promised land. What what is Canaan? What is now Israel? And many of the, uh, the lands around Israel really belong to Israel. 
By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. He had this nice two-story place, air-conditioned on the golf course, and Ur, and what's he doing now? He's living as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. With Isaac and Jacob, uh, fellow heirs of the same promise, now watch this. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. His focus was not just what he accumulated on this earth. It's just not about this earth. It's not about, uh, d- does God bless us and does God take care of us? Yes, he does. See, this is the error of, of, of what is commonly known as prosperity theology. God takes care of his people. There are promises in the scripture. He he promises certain things. But the problem with prosperity theology is they ignore completely what the scripture talks about in regard to suffering. We're called to suffer. Philippians 1.29, it's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble. In the world you'll have tribulation. That's how we grow. That's how we develop. Now, God takes care of us, and God provides, and God makes a way. But there's, uh, there's difficulty, there's hardship, there's disappointment, there's sickness. There's, there, there are things that happen, and God oversees it all. But we are on our way. See, <laughs> if your financial planning, when you do financial planning, if your financial planning only deals with your time on earth, it's defective financial planning. So let's say you do your financial plan and you do this and you get it all this and you get it exactly right. I, I got a book I read 15 years ago. It's on my shelf and, and I can't remember the title, but in essence, um, the, 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 this guy's principle was this. Uh, you want your money to run out on the day you die. All right, that would be perfect financial planning, okay? And forget your kids, you're in this for you. So you spend everything you've got, and you spend the last penny, and then you die, and you're out. Okay, good, way to go. You, you got it perfectly. Okay, good. You've retired, you've, oh, wonderful. Retirement, retirement, oh, retirement, retirement. Okay, and then you die. Now what the heck are you going to do? Because we're going to die. And we don't have to, yeah, and here's the thing, uh, you're going to die, and I'm going to die. William Randolph Hearst, the great newspaper magnate, you can go to his castle, it's still there, Central California coast, San Simeon. Uh, they would fly in those newspapers, and he would read them in that unbelievable mansion, unbelievable. But before they would hand him his papers, that he owned, um, the secretary would go through and blot out every time the word death occurred because he was afraid of dying. Can I show you something in uh, Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, meaning Jesus, that through death, now watch this, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death 
were subject to slavery all their lives. When we know Christ and we really grasp what it is that he's done in our lives and we walk through life, over 300 times in the scripture it says, fear not. Fear not. Why? Because you know the living God and the Son, Jesus Christ. You don't even have to fear death. You don't even have to fear. Uh, some people are absolutely slaves to the fear of death. Uh, John Owen wrote a book 400 years ago, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. Christ killed death. Christ conquered death. And Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. They were worried about the immediate, I mean, Jesus just said he was going away. They didn't want him to go away. They were concerned about their immediate future without Jesus. What do you mean you're going away? We, can't, we, we, we need you. You can't go away. And he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. They don't care about heaven. They're talking about the next few days. They're just trying to make it through the next few days. How are we going to make it without you? And he starts talking about heaven. They're thinking the next couple of weeks, couple of months. How are we going to survive without Jesus? He knew they were worried about the next few weeks and their immediate future. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. You start talking about heaven. If it were not so, I would, have, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I will come and receive you unto myself. Sometimes you've got to reason out what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus was saying to those guys, I know you're concerned about the next few days and the next few weeks. I know your heart is troubled. But listen, I'm going away to prepare a place for you forever. And when I've prepared it, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself. If they had argued it out and reasoned it out and looked at the facts, what he was saying, I'm, you're, you're worried about the next few days and weeks. How are you going to make it? I'm going to go and prepare a place for you forever, and I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself and take you there. So if I'm going to do that for your eternity, don't you think I can take care of you for the next few days? You see the logic? And walking by faith, and we're going to do more on Abraham next week, but the Christian life is walking by faith, believing that God will come through for you with the resources you need when you don't have the resources. God doesn't give us all the resources. And the reason he doesn't give us all the resources at our disposal is that <laughs> if you have all the resources, you don't need him. So he takes strong men and he makes them weak. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And see, we don't ever want him to take away, but he takes away. Yes, he does. But he makes a way. My, my, uh, John, John would not mind me telling you this story, but when John was a senior in high school, he wasn't doing well. Um, he, he, he was hiding things from me. He had wrong friends. He was doing wrong things. And, and I, I had seen that he, this kid was getting a hard heart, and we had a principal at our house, and it was uh, the more responsible you are, the more privileges you get. If you're responsible, you lose privileges. So you want privileges? Be responsible. You've earned them. But if you're responsible, we'll take privileges away. Well, we were going through stuff the whole year, and I, he was hard-hearted and difficult, so I had to take something away. 
And it really didn't make any difference. He just kept doing what he was doing. Then I had to get a little more firm and take something else away. And then this went on for about six months. And we live, we live out a ways from where he was going to school. And I had an old Jeep, and I'd let him take that Jeep and take his brother to school in the morning. And uh, anyway, this was going on for six, seven months. And he came home one afternoon, and he looked around, and he was with some friends, and he came back, and he goes, hey, Dad, where's my Jeep? And I said, I gave it away. He said, what? I said, I gave it away. There was a family that needed a vehicle, so I gave them the Jeep. And he was shocked. I said, by the way, that wasn't your Jeep. That was my Jeep. I was just letting you drive it. He said, Dad, Dad, I can't believe you did that. I said, well, you know what? He goes, does this have to do with the privilege responsibility thing? Oh, you're very astute. It's funny now. He said, I can't believe you did that. I said, I can't believe you haven't paid attention for six months. What do I have to do to get your attention? Looks like now I've got your attention. He goes, but Dad, that's pretty severe. I said, yeah, it is. But you wouldn't listen. And I can't let you keep going down this path, and I'm not going to let you keep going down this path. I cannot do that, and I refuse to do it. We're not doing this your way. We're doing this my way. You're not in charge here. And you're heading out in the wrong direction. And I'm not going to let you do it without pulling your string. Words to that effect. He goes, Dad, I, can't, I cannot believe you did that. He goes, well, how am I going to get to school? I said, there's a bus stop right down there on the corner. He goes, Dad, I'm a senior. I said, ah, you'll be the biggest guy on the bus. <laughs> it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son while there is hope. I only had about four or five months with him before he was heading out. I had to get his attention. The last thing he needed was more prosperity, was more blessing. He didn't need that. He needed his chain yanked. And God yanks our chain. He gives, but if you're obstinate and you're not listening and you're not paying it, he'll take it away. And, we, and, we, and the old hymn says, we're prone to wander, we're prone to leave the God we love. Too much prosperity can kill you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, flip over there. Let me show it to you. And, and listen, God's a good God, and he's a gracious God. <laughs> Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. In Deuteronomy 6, he, he, they're going to go into the land. They're going to, after 40 years of wandering, they're going to go into the land. They're going to receive all these blessings. Uh, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your might. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Verse 10, then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself, watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God. You shall worship him and only swear by his name, not by any idol. 
God says, I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. You can't believe I'm going to bless you, but you better watch yourself. You better watch yourself. And sometimes we get off, and we love this, and we love this, and we love this, and he pulls our chain, and he's getting our attention. And so then we got to go through a, a, a time of discipline and a time of uh, teaching and a time of hardship. Uh, Abraham went into the land, and you know the first thing that happens when he goes into the land? He follows God, he obeys, and he goes into the land. You know the first thing that happens? He, he encounters a famine. First thing. A famine? Yeah. Well, I thought you led me here. Well, I did lead you here. He was going to learn things through the famine that you don't learn in prosperity. But can I, can I say this? The thing that strikes me about Abraham is that when God called him, he obeyed. And there was not always an instant answer. There was not always an instant fulfillment to the, pro, to the promise. But watch this. He obeyed, and then he waited on God. I think that's the Christian life. He calls us to obey even when it doesn't make sense. He calls us to obey even when we're in a tough situ situation and we don't see a way out. He calls us to obey. He calls us to obey and wait for his timing to fulfill the promise. You know, uh, I never ever in my life thought it, I, I never saw it being in men's ministry for 22 years. Never saw it coming. Never saw it coming. Uh, God interrupted uh, my life and my plan. And, and some of you guys have heard me say this before. I was invited to no longer pastor a church. So we went out not knowing where we were going. Well, actually, we were going to go to Dallas. And it was the hand of God. Um, and even when I got here, I, 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 Mary said, Steve, you, you ought to do men's ministry full time. I said, I can't do men's ministry full time. Nobody does men's ministry full time. This is 1990. There's no promise keepers. There is, I mean, you know. But see, that's your heart. Yeah, I know, but I, you, can't, you can't do that. So I was going to do marriage ministry. And anyway, God started working. He started doing some things. And all of a sudden, there's this synergy that the Spirit of God's working, and all this men stuff starts happening that never happened before in this country like this, not since the 1860s under Jeremiah Lamphere in New York City. It's another story. So all of a sudden, there's all this stuff happening with men. And all of a sudden, I mean, we were doing men's conferences, and you could throw a piece of gum on the wall and get 1,500 guys. And my book was out, and I'm getting calls and invitations. I'm getting 300, 400 calls a year because there's this surge of men's ministry. And uh, so we had to hire. I, I had s s seven people working for me. And they're setting up these conferences. And, and it was killing me because I'm not an administrator, and I don't, I'm not a multitasker. I'm a speaker, and I study, and I write. That's what I do. And this stuff was hard on me. I was having to manage these people, and I'm not a manager. And it, was, and it was all this growth and all this exciting stuff happened, but I was just depleted because all my energy was sucked up during the week. I didn't have time to read. I didn't have time to study. I'm, I'm dealing with all this people stuff and this young staff, and that's not me. So one night I am so frustrated. And this is going on for months. It's going on for months. And I'm feeling, Lord, you got... I, I, I don't have any 
Why don't you help me? I'm not supposed to be doing this. This is not what you called me to do. I know I'm not an administrator. I don't even know the questions to ask. And, but this is sucking me dry. And it went on for months and months. And one night, um, I was getting in bed and Mary, and she said, you, you just look so frustrated. I said, I am. I am frustrated. And she says, is, is it dealing with the office stuff? I said, yeah. Yeah, it's dealing with the office stuff. I said it in a real sweet way. <laughs> I said, it's killing me. I, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I don't get this. And I pray and I pray and I pray and nothing happens. And this is killing me. I can't, I can't even think. And I go to speak and I'm worn out from dealing with all this stuff. I got to have time to think and study. She said, sure you do. She said, you know what you ought to do, Steve? You ought, to, you ought to approach Dean Gage and ask him to come and work with you and run your ministry. I said, Dean Gage? Ask Dean Gage to come? I said, who's Dean Gage? About a year before, I got a letter from a guy in College Station. And real nice letter, hey, I appreciate your book, and we're doing men's ministry down here, and love to have you come down sometime. By the way, here's a book I found. You might find a minute. Sent me this book. I wrote him back. Uh, we start, you know, talking. He invites me down to do a conference, spend some time with him. He comes to Dallas. For, we, we become friends. Uh, Dean Gage is the former president of Texas A&M University. And he uh, had uh, retired and actually had gone back and was fulfilling a particular role in the leadership center. Solid guy, solid believer. Uh, incredible resume, obviously. And uh, man, this guy is just, just a great guy. I love Dean. And we, every time we get together, we're talking about men's ministry. And what, you know, we do this and all this, and we just get together. This is Dean Gage. And so Mary said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to hire Dean Gage. I said, Mary, I got seven people. He ran A&M. <laughs> he had 20,000 people working for him. And I said, I'm not going to embarrass myself. She said, well, how do you know you won't embarrass yourself? I said, guys like that don't do this. He ran Texas A&M. I got seven people. I mean, this guy could do this blindfolded in his sleep. She said, how do you know? How do you know he wouldn't be interested? Or words that have it? I said, I, I, I couldn't believe she would even suggest such a thing. I said, well, it's funny because I talked to him this afternoon. He's going to be in town, and he wanted to have lunch with us next week. She said, okay, well, let's have lunch, and why don't you ask him? Oh, my gosh. Put a lid on it, will you? I didn't say that, but I was thinking it. So I, well, you know, and, and, and there's no way I'm going to talk to him about this. So we go to lunch, Mary and I with Dean, and we're just talking and all this, and we're talking, and he's just sharing, you know, and all this, and it, it was like there was a little open, he said something, and I can't even remember what it was, but he said something which caused me to say, well, Dean, <laughs> this is kind of crazy, but, you know, wouldn't it be something if one day uh, you could come on board and just kind of take care of everything for me, and I can just do what I do? And he put his head down. And he didn't look up. 
he was trying to compose himself. And I thought, yeah, I knew I was going to offend this guy. <laughs> it took him about 30 seconds. I mean, it was a little tense. I'm thinking, oh, Mike, obviously this guy is, I mean, there's something going on. And he looked up and he said, are you serious? I said, well, I'm trying to read you if I should be serious. I didn't say that. He said, he, here's what he said. He looked at me, and he said, I've been praying for eight months that you would approach me. And I, and I said, Dean, why didn't you just tell me? He said, well, God put it on my heart, but I figured if he was in it, he'd put it on your heart, and you'd approach me. So the next five years... We were together. And Mary said, I told you so. <laughs> no, she didn't. She didn't say that. She's great. She didn't say that. I looked over there, she's got tears in her eyes, I've got tears in my eyes, Dean's got tears in his eyes. That was worth waiting for. That was worth waiting for. And then five years later, the big surge was over, and, and the crowds, it was just, it was a movement. You can't keep that thing going unless you try artificially. But then, and guys said, what about all that? I mean, was, was that, is all that over? No, because what happened, all that resulted in thousands, I think hundreds of thousands of men's groups that meet all over the country that weren't meeting before. In churches, in coffee shops, that's everywhere. So you see, God took it and then birthed all this other stuff, but as it was coming to an end, Dean and I realized we saw the numbers going down, and we were talking. And in fact, we spent a day of prayer together. And we were just saying, hey, the, the crowds aren't there. And, and honestly, it was not that much action, and we both realized it. And so we spent a day of prayer and saying, Lord, what do you want to do? You want to shut this thing down, or how are we going to do this? We'll do whatever you want. Dean said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. We didn't know what was going to happen. You don't usually pray, Lord, shut something down. But if, but if this is changing, we don't need to do it the way we What do you want to do? Not what do we want. What do you want to do? So we're both praying, say, Lord, we'll just do what you want us to do. And say, okay. And that was on a Tuesday. And Friday we uh, went to do a conference. And we're flying back Saturday night. And we're on the plane. And Dean says, hey, i got to tell you something. You know, we prayed Tuesday. And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, I had something pretty wild happen. Uh, Wednesday night after the church board meeting. I said, yeah, what was that? He said, one of the guys came up to me, and I'd actually hired him at A&M. And uh, he wanted to know if he could have a few minutes, and we started talking. He said, A&M has gotten an endowed, uh, a big gift, and we're going to do an endowed chair in uh, leadership and ethics. And uh, we think you're the guy to take it. And Dean said, well, I walked away from that. He goes, yeah, I know, but we think you ought to walk back in it. This is tailor-made for you. And that happened the day after we prayed, Lord, just show us what you want. Because we had a sense things were winding down. And Dean started telling me about this, and he goes, see, I never saw this coming. I said, no, I know. That's wild, isn't it? He said, well, I'm not sure what to do. I said, well, I think I know what you ought to do. You ought to meet with him. Because that's tailor, you're tailor-made for that. And we just prayed and asked the Lord to show us, and he knew this. He said, I just never saw, I, I said, yeah, I know. And then he said to me, hey, by the way, 
uh, those guys from Swindoll's church called. And they want to meet with you uh, and have lunch with you on whatever it was next week. I said, what do they want to talk about? He said, I don't know. They want to talk to you. I said, okay. So I sit down with David Siobhan and Charlton, and they say, hey, have you ever thought about doing, you're out every weekend doing stuff, have you ever thought about doing a men's ministry just in Dallas, having a Bible study in Dallas every week? Well, Mary had been praying about that for about five to six years. <laughs> kind of ticks me off. Wouldn't it be great, Steve, if you could have a study right in Dallas? You're always going, wouldn't it be great if you could have a base right here in Dallas? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Three months before this, we're in the kitchen, and we're talking, and she said, you know, Steve, wouldn't it be great if you could hook up with Chuck? I said, yeah, right. How is that going to happen? She said, oh, I, I just thought it would be neat. Maybe something would happen there. I said, I don't know how that would happen. Well, three months later, they say, hey, Steve, you ever thought about doing a Bible study every week in Dallas? I said, I sure have. Actually, my wife's thought about it. I never thought about it. <laughs> well, would you do it with us? Uh, yeah, I'd be real open to that. And Dean and I had just talked, and we decided we were going to shut down the College Station office, and I didn't know where I was going. And then Siobhan said, hey, we're building, we just got this new building, you need any office space? That's what he said. You need any uh, secretarial help? I mean, in a week, God put us both where we needed to be. Now, we were struggling for about a good year trying to figure it out. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. When God moves, he moves. So I don't know where you are, but can I say this to you? Stay obedient. Just, just keep following. Just stay obedient and wait and wait for his timing. It's worth waiting for. Is it not? So we bow our, our Father before you because we're all in here walking by faith in some area of our life. And some of us, you've just opened the door and we're excited. It's wonderful. Thank you for those times. For others of us, uh, we sense a transition coming and we're not sure how it's going to work, how it's going to sort. We can sometimes get a sense that you're getting ready to, to shut a particular chapter. Uh, you're, you're getting ready to kind of bring it to a close. And if you are, you are. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry ourselves sick over that because it's part of your plan. So, you said you will never leave us or forsake us, so the guy that's here, and he feels that uh, closure in this chapter of his life is about to come upon him, I pray for him that tonight he could have your peace, and he could have good sleep, and he could rest deeply, because you give to your beloved even in their sleep. You'll be there when we need you to be there. We walk by faith and not by sight. We can't see it. You've already planned it. We believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.